Okay, well that's our prayer today, that the Lord would speak till His church is built. Guys, it's just us, can I talk to you for a minute? Sometimes I was thinking about this uh, a lot early last week, sometimes um, I hear myself kind of going off my notes and I... You know how when you talk and you, you can think at the same time? I was thinking, why do I sound like I'm trying too hard? Sometimes I feel this way. Why, why do I sound like I'm real conscious that I'm online? You know, because these things go out. Why, why do I sound like I'm trying to be a YouTube video? This is my people. There's a struggle. I used to wing most of my sermons, and I don't mean that like wing it, you know, but I just would have a rough outline, and I would... I remember reading through some of my previous notes from five, ten years ago. It's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. What a gift. The Lord has allowed me to be teaching here at Vine and Branch, off and on, mostly on, for almost 13 years. Very thankful for that listen back to some of my old sermons and look at notes and growing in my deep desire for to teach God's Word and not just say things. Just remember saying things. I just didn't need to say that. So now I write my sermons out almost word for word. And so sometimes I feel like I should just kind of be a little bit more natural or Maybe I should let the Spirit work. Well, here's I trust that the Lord is, the Spirit is at work in my preparation. Right? That's where He is really working. And so often I'm at my desk praying, constant um, as I prepare, Lord, what do you want me to say next? Help me to say it succinctly. Help me to cut stuff that I'm just trying to sound good and just say what needs to be said to your church. So I write clear notes and try to say what needs to be said. I want desperately just to teach to you God's Word. And sometimes I feel like, thank you Lord for working. And I just love my preparation time, although I usually hit a spot right about in the middle where it's like really overwhelming and hard. Ian's about there now. He'll be teaching next week. But really thankful. Other times I think, well, Lord, thank you for working in spite of me. I'll trust that you will take my efforts, as imperfect as they are, and run them home and do your work regardless of uh, the job that I did. Last week was one of those. I just felt like I didn't communicate as clearly as I wanted to. There's a wrestling that takes place, you know, in somebody who's teaching. And even as we read the passage today, I think about that. That we should do it in proportion with our faith. So all that to say two things. One, you know, let's Ian's going to be teaching next Sunday. If you would, just be praying for Ian. I can feel and sense your prayers when I ask for them. And then um, the other thing is I'm going to back up and just clarify some things that I want to make super clear because this is a really important 
topic. This is a really important series, what we're doing. We're talking about foundations, and much like the foundation of a house, if you don't get the foundation right, everything else gets all, we say in our house, cattywampus. It gets all crooked and out of square moving up. And so it's really important that we get this first part right. So some of these things I feel like, I okay, I got that home clear. I did okay with that last week. But there's a couple of things I just felt like, ah, just too much information, which is exciting because I'm learning all kinds of stuff and I get so excited about bringing the Word um, to our body. And sometimes I get caught up in the details. I felt like I did that last week. Okay? So thanks for being patient and hanging in there with me. But I'm going to reorder, I'm going to re-clarify some things and re-emphasize some points from last week because it really lends itself to our teaching today. We're going to be in Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and then jumping into chapter 2, verses 4 through 24. More so, 15 through 23. So here's some things I want to make sure that we're grasping as we consider the foundations of our faith. We talked a lot last week about, and the week previous, about God ordering and filling and resting. And we talked about the Sabbath rest and what that means. And here's something I want to make super clear that I feel like is really important that we get. That ordering and filling and resting, the Sabbath rest that God takes on the seventh day, that Hebrew says we're all trying to or working to get back to. This ordering and filling and resting is part of God's character. You hear me? It's not just what He did. He rested. Resting for Him to take the time to rest is actually who He is. In other words... God's willingness to humbly share himself with others says something magnificent about his humility and his goodness. That he would make us man and then say, I'm going to abide to live with you is extremely humble. You with me? Resting is not just what God did. It's part of his character. Inviting us in. Jesus says this very similar in John chapter 15. Abide or live in me and I'll live in you. It is extremely humbling, church. You with me? For the God of the universe to say, I want to live with you. I want to rest with you. When Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper, take this cup, take my body, their minds were like, what is he doing? He's saying, take me in. He's using marriage bridal language. Here's the God of the universe saying, on day seven, I created everything perfect, and now you know what I want to do forever? I want to rest. I want to live. I want to abide with my creation. Guys, we have to get that. Because as we talk about imaging God, as we talk about trying to live out God's image in us, that's a significant way that we Relate his character to other people. Are you following me? No, no really. Am I, are we communicating? This is really important. Okay, so that's, we're going to keep unpacking that because it's so foundational. Here's the other thing. I want to clarify resting. 
Even as we were having discussions around my table, uh, our dinner table as a family this week, at our Shabbat dinner, we were talking about resting. I think we think napping or, or lazy boy recliner when we think resting. But I want to I wanna define it this way. It is that God did stop working. We talked about that. There is a stopping component, but I want to make sure we get this. This is in your notes. Resting means humbly and intentionally God sharing himself through living and abiding in relationship with others. That's what resting means. It's not just that he took a nap, but that he intentionally said, I'm going to stop to, to abide. I'm going to stop. To in, I'm going to intentionally pause my work. One, because it's finished. Two, because the whole purpose of it is to rest, to live, to relate to people. My creation. We good? It's important. And so this ordering, this filling, and resting then, church, is how we image God. So when we think about, well, how do I live like the Lord? Ordering, filling, and resting. Keeping God central in our lives. Obeying His Word. Doing what He says. Enjoying His presence. The things that He has created for us. Being like Him. is resting. That's, that's living in Him. It's not just stopping. There's an activity to it. But we're resting in our relationship with God. You, you with me? That's the way it is for us to order and to fill and to rest. Tempted to go into another side. So important. Okay, so the tree of life is in the middle of the garden. It represents God Himself. It's in the center for a reason. Adam and Eve were to eat of it. It was to be their substance, their partaking of the tree of life, they're partaking of God Himself. When Jesus presents Himself in John chapter 6, take and eat of my flesh. What are you saying? He is the new tree of life. We're ordering and filling and resting. And so the way we image God is humbly sharing ourselves through living in relationship with God and others. That is a significant part of us resting in God. Are you with me? And I don't know about you, friends, but th- this idea of Sabbath rest is way, way more significant than I've ever seen it before in my life. True? Think about the first four commandments. Exodus chapter 20. Do you guys remember them? What's the first one? Come on, it's your part. Thou shalt have no other. God's before me. What's the second one? Don't make a graven image. Okay. 
I am, I am God and there is no other. Don't try to make seconds. Okay, what's the third one? That's the fourth one. What's the third one? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Okay, so last time we talked about this Sabbath one starting way before. Remember this? Starting way before we take Sunday off. It's way more than that. So Jesus would say, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. That's very similar to do not take the Lord's name in vain. So if I said to you, what does that mean? Most people would say, well, if we use God's name as a swear word or, you know, we think it's about speech. Not taking the name of the Lord in vain starts way before, you know, somebody calls out Jesus' name on a construction site. Those who name the name of Christ and pray in His name and who take that name as part of their identity, when they deliberately disobey or ignore His directives, they are taking His name in vain. Okay? Years. It's been years since I've taken taken verbally, to my shame, Jesus Christ, I've used as a swear word before I knew the Lord, or before I even knew better. So I think if I'm not doing that, then I'm doing okay on this third one. But the reality is, if we profess to be Christians, but we act and think and speak the same way non-Christians do, We are taking the name of the Lord in vain. It starts way before we say words. When we misrepresent Christ, either intentionally or through ignorance, we take the Lord's name in vain. When we say we love Him, but we do not do what He commands, Luke chapter 6, we take His name in vain. So the Lord says... I am God, have no other gods before me, put me first, don't put anything, don't worship, don't bow down to anything beside me, make your life match your message, my my message, don't take my name in vain, and then rest, rest in me, you see, The fourth commandment is the culmination of the first four commandments on how we relate to God. The first four are all about our vertical relationship. You following me? So God says, keep me first. Don't make any seconds. Live consistent with my image in you. Rest in me. The fourth commandment is the culmination of the first four of how to relate to God. The Sabbath day commandment And our obeying it is the way we set Him aside as holy. Sabbath rest, if you look at Exodus 20, it's the only commandment with an explanation. It's actually like a paragraph long. You shall not work, neither shall your maidservants, or your manservants, or your animals, your donkeys, your sheep, your cattle. Everybody's rest. Why why is He spending so much time detailing The Sabbath, it's the only commandment with an explanation. Because it's important, church, and we, I'm telling you, we've missed it. True? God is calling us to rest, 
to live in him. And the first four commandments are not so much don't do this, don't do this. It's an invitation from God himself to say, put me first, make your life consistent with me, and rest in me. It's an invitation. Let's consider that the commandments, these first four in particular, and this idea of Sabbath rest possesses far more reach and far more depth than we've described to it. And why am I making this? Why, why am I reiterating this? Why am I trying to clarify this? Because we live out of this reality. It is foundational for us. This idea of stopping what we're doing and intentionally and humbly engaging in the most important thing in our life, relationship with God and with others. It is the foundation for everything else we do. So when the Westminster Catechism, which we just started off with, says, what is the chief end of man? And then answers, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It's talking about resting Ordering, filling, and resting or abiding, living with God. That's what it's saying. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The catechism is emphasizing joyfully observing the first four commandments. That's what it's saying. Ordering, filling, and resting. Doing our job, doing what He's called us to do, imaging Him and then humbly and intentionally living in relationship to God and to others. Church, this is the foundation of our lives. And so here in Genesis, we find the bedrock foundation of how and what it means to live out His image in us. The image of God has been marred by sin, right? In all of us. But it's not gone. Jesus Christ as God perfectly lived out God's image on earth before us. So we would know exactly the new Adam, how he's supposed to live without sin in relationship to God. Am I doing okay here? Look, I'm not looking for affirmation. I just want to know you're getting it, that I'm clearly communicating. This is so important. Our call as Christian followers is to image our Creator. And we, ha- we find the fundamentals on how to do that right here in Genesis. Now the culture, I don't know even what to, word to use here. The world, people who don't believe. Sometimes I, sometimes I don't like using that language because culture, the world, makes it sound like everybody out there, all those mean, evil people. Right, And yet we find ourselves living very consistently with the world at times. We want, we want to be careful about that. Right, The evil part, disbelief in the out there and in here. However you want to qualify this term, people who don't believe, who do not want to live out God's image. Rather, they want to create their own image. This is, this is the war against even what I'm talking about. 
there are people, regardless of whatever title you use, culture, world, unbelievers, non-Christians, whatever you want to say, there are people who hate God's way. They hate it. In the name of self-expression or autonomy and freedom, following your heart, being yourself, whatever it is, they want to redefine how and what men and women are to do, how they're to live in relationship with God and other people. God is not the center, man is. And for whatever reason, church, right now, a large number of Christians in the church are following that very mindset. Our love for God and for others needs to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we can discern what is excellent and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. That's why we're studying this series. That our knowledge may abound and our love um, may grow. So what I'm saying is, we image God by living out Ordering, filling, resting. There's specific ways we do that as men and women, and we're going to talk about that. And there's a cultural war that takes place against imaging God. They do not want to image God. We're going to talk about that. So R.C. Sproul recounts a story where an engineer was visiting a modern architecture display. Stairs go up to nowhere. Windows out of skew, um, headers all crooked and sideways, beams that are holding nothing up. And after walking around this modern architecture display, this engineer leans over and whispers to his friend, I hope the foundation isn't built like this. In the name of expression, modern architects can build anything they want. They can rearrange all the aesthetics they please. But if they do not adhere to the fundamental principles of physics, the building will not stand. In the name of freedom and expression and doing whatever I please and following my heart, nice, maybe cool looking to some people, but you cannot apply those to the reality of the basement of a skyscraper, or the building will crash. They are laws of the universe, and you will break yourself on them if you break them. Here in Genesis, we find that very bedrock of relationships and value and purpose. And if we act incongruent with the foundation, you will break yourself on the laws of the universe. There is no changing them. You will not crush them. You will be crushed by them. It is not our place to re-engineer or rethink God's design. I cannot like it. I can war against it. It will not change. So in Genesis 1, 26 through 31, here's this general creation of 
man, again, all kinds of stuff. After Ian teaches, I'm splitting the sermon into two, by the way. It's too good. And so after Ian teaches, we're going to come back and re-go through the second part of the more detailed creation that we're going to read here in a little bit. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 34, 24. But here in chapter 1, verse 26, it reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heaven, And everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Notice two fundamental truths, two foundational truths here. One, we are created in the image, in the likeness of God. We are created to live and to operate like God. And living incongruently, living in opposition, not like God, results in major problems in our relationship to Him and others. And just life in itself. So notice that as a foundational truth. We are created in the image, in the likeness of God. We, meaning men and women. Two, we have been given dominion over all other forms of life. Dominion, or to rule. This word dominion means fruitfully ruling over God's creation as His representatives. That's what dominion means. Fruitfully In other words, in a way that benefits others, producing fruit, fruitfully ruling over God's creation as His representatives, as His stewards. That's what it means to have dominion. So that's, that's verses 126. And then those two realities, this created in His image and that were given dominion, are developed more fully in verses 27 and 28. And that's actually in a poem. So that's why if you're looking in your Bibles, it's kind of written separate. And he's saying, man in my image, image of man in me, male and female together, image me. It's a poem. We are created in his image. Male and female together, Complete God's image. And then, the second point, again, reiterated more fully, fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, have dominion. 
Represent me. Replicate yourself. Benefit those you replicate. Organizing your resources to enhance the life of others. That's what it means for us to have dominion. And let me say it again. Currently, many in our world and our culture, and when we choose to go our own way, we live in willful opposition to God's developed foundation. Architects of culture want to redesign the world and people in their image. But church, we must live differently than our culture. Because, not just to live differently, but because we really follow God. Because we strive to image Him. We must be able in this current culture, church, it is my job to submit myself to the Word and to teach you that following culture is not an option for us. We must be able to, as Paul says, to approve what is excellent and make wise choices. No matter how desperately or intellectually or sincerely people want to appear in rearranging God's design, it always leads to confusion and to strife and to destruction and to incurring the wrath of God. There's three ways people live in opposition to God's design that we are facing day in and day out in our culture today. So I want to talk about these three ways that people are living in opposition to God's design of ordering and filling and resting. And then, how, and then I want to talk about how men and women, how we are to image God. Okay, So three don'ts and then three do's. Our culture is living in opposition to God because they violate this idea of the sanctity of life. Today is actually Sanctity of Life Sunday. The phrase Sanctity of Life reflects the belief that because people are made in God's image, human life is inherently sacred and should be protected at all times, including the womb. Why is that? Because we are made in God's image. The sanctity of human life is not because we are wonderful and good beings and that somehow we have evolved far further than the rest of the puddle sludge that we grew up with. The only reason that the sanctity of life applies to humanity is the fact that we are created in God's image. And He set us apart from all other forms of life. The beginning God created. We are like God. Image marred? Absolutely. But His image is still in us. When secularists, people who don't believe in God, 
when they talk about dignity, human dignity, and the value of human life, they must rob their value system from Christianity because they have none of their own. If you were raised in a puddle of sludge and you were a biological accident and you are simply going to return to the dust, you have no dignity. Zero. You have no value. You didn't start with any. You won't finish with any. The secularist must borrow a Judeo-Christian ethic in order to have a value system, in order to have dignity. And people are living in opposition to God's image in us, and that is why we have abortion. Another way people are living in opposition to God's design is in gender identities. A few weeks ago when we started in Genesis, I stated this. Once a person or a community or a civilization untethers from the reality of beginning God created, all knowledge, all morality, all identity, all law, all order, order, all purpose, all sanity, all salvation, and all hope is completely and utterly lost. You you, You untether yourself from the commitment to God and His Word and all sanity goes out the window. And one of the staggering illustrations of this fact is the multiplication of alternate gender options that have popped up in recent years. Guys, in the last five years, polled elementary students in Maryland, I'm sorry, middle school students, Five years ago, they put out gender uh, surveys. What kids thought of their gender. The confusion around that in the last five years. Kids that have identified as Non-binary, five years ago to now, is up 500%. There are now upwards of 50 gender options, including, but not limited to, agender, androgyny, androgynous, bigender, cisgender, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, gender trans questioning gender variant, gender queer, non-binary, pangender, trans-feminine, trans-masculine, transgender, and transsexual. And if any of those options aren't fit for you, you can fill in the blank where it says other or none of the above. The Bible nowhere mentions a man believing himself to be a woman or a woman believing herself to be a man. The Bible explicitly says that God created them male and female. There is no gender or spectrum continuum. You are fearfully and wonderly made in the exact body that God gave you. There are two genders, male and female, and in His image, He created them. Period. And our culture is warring against that. And another cultural war is happening in culture 
but it also is taking great root in the church, and that is the roles of men and women. Now, there's a significant area of conflict about this, and next week Ian's going to teach all about that. I'm kidding. So. <laughs> But Ian is going to teach on the beginning of that, the fall. So in, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go back over this, and specifically we're going to talk about husband and wife and family roles. We're going to go deeper into this, but for the time being, let me just say this. It's an area of great opposition, and people want to blur the lines between men and women roles to make genders more equal, not only in value, which they are, by the way, but also in function. This is, again, not just outside the church, but inside. And those who advocate this position from the Bible want to say that the hierarchy structure of men and women was actually developed post-fall. Let me just say this at the beginning. It is inarguable from Genesis 1 that we need two distinct and different genders to image him. Adam, in verse 19, we'll see this, needed a helper fit. And that word fit actually means in stark contrast. Adam needed somebody in stark contrast to him to balance him out, to make his marriage good. No, to image God. And to blur the lines of difference between men and women is to shrink the image of God. You with me? To make the function more seamless and non-binary and fluid. You actually, if you say the sexes aren't that different, then you say the bandwidth of God is not that big. You shrink His image. So these are three cultural issues Church, that we, regardless of what is going on, we cannot afford to begin to adjust God's design. We are Christ followers, not cultural followers. So here's how we live out God's design. We've been talking about ordering and filling and resting. Those are ways that we represent God. So it's the way we image Him, ordering, filling, resting. And then here in this passages that we've been reading, we're also given a mandate, a dominion mandate, a purpose for which we are created and for which we need one another, men and women. I'm going to give you three more words. And so the way we image God is ordering and filling and resting. And the way we fulfill the dominion mandate is representing and reproducing and redeeming. You with me? Let's say those out loud together. Representing. Very good. Representing and reproducing and redeeming. This redeeming is bringing order out of chaos. These three things are both the original Great Commission here in Genesis 1.28, and they're also restated in the Great Commission. Representing. 
reproducing and redeeming. That's the great commission Jesus charged us with, true? These are the way that men and women image God. Representing, reproducing, and redeeming. Each gender is uniquely and equally different from one another, and yet complementary and necessary. I'm going to read Genesis 2, 15 through 18, and then we're going to make some observations and then draw some principles, some applications for us, and then we're going to wrap up. Starting in Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. If you're looking in your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline, took the man and put him in. He took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden You can underline these two words too, to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Did you notice this? Talk about this more in a couple of weeks. Before the fall happened, obeying obeying was part of relationships. There's three ways in particular that men image God. So again, in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden. Now notice where Eve is in this. She doesn't exist. So God has made a garden. He takes the man, he puts the man in it to work it and to keep it. These directives, work it and keep it, are given to who? They're given to Adam. Eve is not there yet. God's directives get communicated to Eve through Adam. Look, I don't write it. I'm just responsible to teach it. In other words, Adam is the initiating steward of God's truth. People are warring against this, but you see that very truth dragged all the way throughout Scripture. Adam is the initiating steward of God's truth. In other words, he is the leader. Here's the first way that we as men image God. We lead we steward God's truth. And we benevolently and intentionally lead others in it. God put Adam in the garden to work it. It's also translated to tend it. It's more than just working, putting in your eight and then going home. It's working with care and foresight. So the second way that men image God is by tending. It's by being careful. It's paying attention. And God also charged Adam to keep it. The phrase in Hebrew actually literally means to narrow your gaze. In other words, keep a close eye on. 
It also means to hedge in with thorns. What God is telling Adam is that he is the protector. If Adam was doing his job, when the evil seraphim, the serpent, entered into the garden, he should have killed the snake immediately. The problem with Eve taking the fruit was Adam's problem. He did not protect. Even when he was standing there, he dropped the ball. The way that man images God, men in particular, is by leading, by tending, and by protecting. It's our job, man. It's how we represent God. And so man's role is to lead and to tend and protect. And there's a tactical orientation to our role. There's a real hands-on, practical implementation of what we are to do. Then let's look at verse 18. Through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was no not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam was alone. And God said, that's not good. He needed a suitable companion. And there was not found one. Adam had no counterpart. In order to image God in reproducing and reflecting, representing, reproducing and redeeming, Adam needed a companion. He needed a second part. Eve was given to Adam as that companion. She's also his helper. And again, this helper is fit, suitable. Again, it's a stark contrast. It means it also means to clear the way. And so here Eve is created with a completely different set of complementary gifts. She stands in stark contrast to help Adam by clearing the way. So upon receiving Eve, Adam says in verse 23, this is at last. Meaning, God's image is finally complete. It's done Two people mirroring God's image. This is the remedy, by the way, church, for not good. So, six days of good, 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 very good. This is not good. What's the not good? When half of God's image existed in the universe, hear me, 
It was not good. It was incomplete. Adam cannot reflect God without Eve. Completely. I'm not making this up. God said, not good. Eve was a necessary element to make God's creation of man very good. She is the completing one. So the woman's role is to companion and to help and to complete. There's a very relational orientation to her role. And so remember, men, our job is leading and tending and protecting. And there, there's a lot of tactical orientation to our role. Not that we don't relate, obviously. But we're given something to do. And the women's role is companioning and helping and completing. Paul reiterates this truth in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. In summary, he says, man needs the help. Man needs to be helped. The woman needs to help. The man is called to the work and he must receive help from her. The woman is called to help and she must receive the directives of the work to be done from him. You with me? Maybe unpopular, but this is the way we image God. We spend so much time, I've done this before, we spend so much time here on this issue with caveats and explanations, either trying to soften this or make it a little bit more culturally acceptable or to correct how it's been abused, because it has been abused, okay? I'm not denying that at all. But the answer is not not doing it. The answer is doing it the right way. There has been abuse in this issue. But let's just for a minute, let, let's just take Genesis account for what it is. Hear me. If we peel away all that stuff, listen to this. Men and women are created together to image God. And we need both distinct, varied, varied differences to do this. That is a blessing. You with me? If we can just peel away all the cultural stuff, we need men and women to completely image God. And those differences should be like, we should be excited about those. God designed men and women to perfectly, with glorious and inherent qualities, to image Him. We have a glorious role to fulfill, church, given to us by the Lord. Those who do not know God or who have experienced this in not ways that are like God, they want to re-engineer His design. And It's not about re-engineering His design, it's about re-engineering us and the way we experienced it. But the answer is not to hate God's way. Or to refuse to see the glory in His way. You didn't put me in the right body. I don't like the role you gave me. 
you gave me the wrong role. I don't want my job. I want his job. I don't want her, my job. I want her job. I don't want my job. I want no job at all. I don't like that you chose one leader. I want there to be two. I should be able to create my own role. I should be able to create my own identity, my own job. Church, this doesn't just make for bad marriages. It is warring against God himself. You hear me? And as followers of God, this is not an option for us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him rest in him therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing church we're not of the night we are children of the light so hear me the masculine nature is glorious because it images god representing reproducing and redeeming him by leading and by tending and protecting it's what we do and the feminine nature is glorious. It's glorious because it images God by representing and reproducing and redeeming, by companioning and helping and completing. So men, men including eight, you know, zero to the oldest person in the room, whether you're a child or a young adult, or 30 plus, or whether you're single or married. Whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your stage of life, bear God's image in you. Be grateful for the role that God has given you. You are a leader, you're a tender, and you are a protector at every stage. Be grateful for that and live it intentionally with enthusiasm to its fullest your glorious masculine role is to represent and reproduce and to redeem. And you do that by leading and tending and protecting. Married or single. You young guys, if you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you lead, you tend, you protect. You can do this with your siblings at home. You can show, you can show your parents that you're leading by following, by being obedient to them by not being a pest or not being a distraction to what your parents are trying to do, by tending to the ways, to the things that they've given you to do, by protecting your own soul, by protecting those around you, younger siblings or little people, other ladies in the church that are around your age, by being respectful to them, you are a protector. It's what you were born to do. One example that we see in this church, and I'm, it's not just because he's my son, but Luke, you're doing this thing with the wilderness court. That's exactly what that is. 
You're 17, 18 years old, and you're leading and you're tending and you're protecting. Keep up the good work. There's other young men that are doing the same thing. You're leading, you're tending, you're protecting. It's not just when you get married. It starts now. And if it doesn't start now, it won't start then. So find someone to lead, a job to tend, and protect those around you. Women, whatever stage of life you're in, child, young, adult, 30 plus, single, or married, whoever is in your sphere of influence, whatever age, whatever stage of life you're in, bear God's image in you. Be content in your role with enthusiasm. You get to image God. Your glorious feminine role in representing and reproducing and redeeming is by companioning and helping and completing. I'm using examples of single people because it's easier for us as married people to understand what this looks like in the church and in our families, true? And we're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But if you're single, these things still apply to you. When Mary and I were in the throes of little ones, young babies, and I was trying to lead a ministry, and my administrative abilities, I was dribbling left-handed. That's my weak side, by the way, if you're a basketball person. I just was completely over my head trying to fundraise. I've never done fundraising before. Hate asking people for money, but it was my job. We were up to here in responsibilities and life and ministry and little ones and trying to homeschool. And if it wasn't for Abba Borsik, I'm not sure we would have made it. She companioned and helped and completed our family. My boys still talk about stories that Abba would read to them. Gabe was the same way, by the way. The boys still talk about fat, fat Stanley stories that Gabe told to my boys late at night when we were at the hospital with little Cade being born. You know why? Because these young people were leading, tending, and protecting because they were companioning and helping and completing. The other week, Mary and I got this cool little basket and there was a pen in there. And I'm like, the pen doesn't work. And then there's this little tiny thing on this side. Angela, I hope this doesn't embarrass you, but too bad. It's, it's so helpful. So I opened up the pen. There's a $50 bill in there. And she just encouraged Mary and I to go on a date and spend time together. You know what she's doing? She's companioning, she's helping, and she's completing. She's not married. Okay? It's her job. It's her glorious role. And you can wish for something else. You can want to be the leader. Hey, look, you're leading if you're companioning and helping and completing. Thank you, Angela. Yeah. She's companioning and she's helping and she's completing my mother. And some of the uh, other girls in the church, the Owen girls, are over at my mom's and they're helping, they're companioning, they're completing. Any stage at life, little ones, you hear me? 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. It's your amazing role. You get to image God. And don't let culture tell you, you got to be a man to do it. It's a lie. Be content with who's God made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You get to represent Him. 
You get to reproduce the gospel news. You get to reproduce yourself. And you get to redeem. You get to take chaotic things and order them. It's our job. It's our role. So young ladies, women of all ages, old, young, in between, find someone to companion, to help, and to complete. Church, we... Okay. That's good. It, it, t- okay. So here's why that's good. Not just because she's my mother, right? But because she's an 83-year-old person who's watched time flow by and has, by the way, experienced the Dr. Spocks of the 70s and the women's liberation movement, and she's watched all of it as an unbeliever and watched all of it and then said, you know what, 83 years... God's way is the best way, and we ought to listen to that. Men, this week, lead, tend, protect. Women, companion, help, complete. And find the joy of the Lord in imaging Him, resting in His image in you. For the glory of Christ and our joy. Amen.